Brought to you by Feitner Productions. From the Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, this is Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc, and co-hosts, Kristen Drenning and Curtis Rutherford. Featuring a jury of genius jokesmiths and paneled with the help of Publishers Clearinghouse, auditors from the firm of DCH Lottery Management, and selected by random draw from a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar every Tuesday and Thursday at half past never. Only a madman would bring these people together to construct an entire virtual world of law and order simply to tear it asunder with ruckus laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the interwebs. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law, the comedy podcast hosted by me, the middle-aged MC of Stanley Mosque Courthouse in downtown Los Angeles, Billy DeClerc, Esquire. And I'm Curtis Rutherford, not Esquire, but co-host of this podcast, the creator of Improv Beat by Beat, the audio interview textbook of improv, where I interviewed a whole bunch of improvisers, put the interviews into a very large spreadsheet in order to produce over two dozen thematically organized episodes, covering everything you could have learned at UCB without spending thousands of dollars enriching Amy Poehler and her pool and all of her giant water bills. Also, I am the author of a paper book, which contains no or very few spreadsheets. Laser focus on SAT math, which is available at a little indie bookseller named Amazon.com. <laughs> and I'm co-host Kristen Drenning, actual lawyer, uh, improviser, storyteller, gal around town in Austin, Texas. And I'm proud to say that I've earned a spot as co-host in this podcast, not by selling out my friend's stories, sorry, Curtis, but rather through moxie and willpower. <laughs> Billy wrote that last sentence. I do not know exactly what he means or why he's needlessly putting words in my mouth. Make a joke at Curtis's podcast, but I'll take it. Hmm. And I'm producer Jeff, also known as Jeffrey Vance Fighter Jr., owner of Fightner Productions, podcaster in my own right, host of Round and Round, the podcast, and For the Trees, which has been on hiatus for more than a year and I'll probably never make it again. I usually keep quiet, but today I'm here to make sure Billy has his mic turned on and actually kind of sort of speaks into his kind of sort of expensive microphone instead of thrashing about as per his usual, costing me sleepless nights and time away from my loved ones, tearing out what remains of the little hair on my head and attempting to fix the crazy shit he does every freaking week. Just to be told, no, 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 it's good. We'll fix it in post. Billy, this is post. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Jeff is the subtle improviser you don't always hear from, but as often as not, uh, the edits are what make the scene. Um, and that's what makes the show. And also sometimes rescuing things from the abyss um, and occasionally deciding that they're just going to stay there. But I am thrilled to have you all on the show once again. Let's hear the case actually this week. It's the cases of Ooh. the week. Point of order, honorable chairperson. You have the floor. <sighs> Seeing as how you are speaking to concepts much more often than a singular case of the week, I, I propose uh, the following motion. I move that you name this thing the concept of the week or the theme of the week, anything but a case. Oh. Uh, this this week would be hysterical sentimentality or something along those lines. <laughs> Sentimental journey. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, okay. Well, um, is the motion seconded? Seconded. This week's thematic caseload. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a thematic caseload this morning. Don't talk about it. Oh my gosh. Never eat fiber at night. What? Terrible. <laughs> The theme is that you can't award damages for sentimental value losses or sentimental value damages, except when you can. Uh, this week, we're going to take a different, a slightly different approach. We are keeping the the hit segment, Comedy Court. But in order to give um, our comedy lawyers a leg up, I'm going to give two cases that they can use to argue the case that will be presented in comedy court because that's what lawyers do is we analogize to existing cases analogies are something you use in math but not on the sat math portion 
uh, they use it on the verbal portion, but it's actually uh, logical reasoning and not necessarily. But anyway, and they took it off the verbal portion in uh, around the 2000s because it was one of the many uh, areas that was deemed too racist, even for the SAT. <laughs> That's saying something. <laughs> and that will go um, SAT. Um, analogies is going to go the same place that my uh, collectors Dukes of Hazard General Lee remote control vehicle car goes um, and all the other vestiges of my 1980s childhood in suburban Northern California. All right. First case is out of Texas. We're going to jump around jurisdictions. They're not all Texas cases. We'll just ignore state lines for the moment. Until we don't. This case is called Brown versus Frontier Theaters, Inc. It involves something that ye youngins maybe not seen. It's called a drive-in movie theater. That's now where they have swap meets, where they still stand, where they still exist. But those giant billboards you can see um, usually off the, I think, the 5 or the 710 freeway in Los Angeles. They used to show movies there at night. And I think some places they still do. And during COVID, they made pop-up drive-in movie theaters because they're like, hey, this is a pretty good idea. So that's a drive-in movie theater. In this case, Brown versus Frontier Theaters, the plaintiffs, the Browns, sought damages against Frontier Theaters for damages to their household and kitchen equipment, their clothing, money, heirlooms, and other personal property that was destroyed in a fire on May 11th, 1958. Which begs the question, how many heirlooms does this family have in their apartment, like in the middle of a giant drive-through screen or above a drive-through screen? <laughs> right. And right. So there's some there's some description and some some mind brain pictures involved in this case. If you haven't been to a drive-in movie theater um, in Texas ever, there is the Eagle Drive-In Theater, which was destroyed by a fire. Um, and the theater itself with a screen is a structure about 60 feet high. And um, for whatever reason, they thought it was a good idea to put an apartment in the um, screen structure. Um, so the lower eight or eight and a half feet, there's this apartment. And then the upper uh, 51 and a half, 52 feet of the structure was primarily the theater screen on the interior portion. And on the backside, a large neon sign telling people, hey, there's a drive-in movie theater here. The... Um, I believe the sign said the Eagle because that was the name of the movie theater. The Eagle living uh, inside of a drive-in movie theater screen feels like something out of like a Charlie Kaufman movie. <laughs> like it's right. It's, it's very, uh, it's very, uh, you know, um, self-referential and abstract. Yes. Uh huh. Or perhaps like a setup for the first act of a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's some like superhero who's created by an accidental sparking <laughs> of the neon sign. Or um, in an epic case of frugality, the original owner of the joint built his apartment beneath the screen, cut all his trees down, made it a drive in parking lot so that they could look at his screen. And then when he sold it, the new owner who did not need the residence under the screen decided to rent that space to these hapless browns. It could be. That actually yes. sounds like a very realistic version yes. of the story. Did you research this in Wikipedia or something? That I used sounds... to live in a drive-in movie theater screen. <laughs> Wait. Are you... Wait. <laughs> Wait, are you fucking with me, Jeff? <laughs> I think it's safe to say that nobody in this room has, has lived at a drive-thru screen. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know... Jeff's got a lot of stories. I don't know which ones are true. The Browns uh, were the caretakers of the drive-in and lived in the apartment. You, you just addressed why they're living in the thing, why the apartment exists. They're the caretakers <laughs> of the theater. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think your backstory sounds very realistic. They're like, well, I'm not going to stay here and run this place. I'm going to be a landlord. So I'm going to leave someone else to live here and take care of it. Unfortunately, the apartment underneath the movie theater screen was not up to code, so to speak. Um, and there were electrical wires running through it, um, mostly to service the neon eagle sign. And the Browns complained to the landlord. And like all landlords, the landlord didn't do shit about it. There were electrical sparks that were uh, just coming out of the wires. And Mrs. Brown testified at trial that the sparks were running up and down metal strips, I guess, that were exposed inside of the apartment. And she pulled the switch and basically shutting off the neon light and reported the trouble to Mr. Ackley, 
who was the city manager for that particular area for Frontier Theaters. Apparently, at the time, there were many Frontier Theaters. The drive-in movies were big in the 50s. So Mr. Ackley sent an electrician. The electrician made some kind of repair. Probably didn't do it for very much uh, money because we all know how landlords are, you know, cheap in general. Um, And told Miss Brown it's safe to throw the switch and use the neon sign again, which she did. And again, saw Sparks. And again, called Mr. Ackley. Mr. Ackley was told that the sparks were still running up and down the metal strip. And he told her, ah, turn on the neon sign anyway. And Mrs. Brown testified. I asked him, Mr. Ackley, about it. And he said that, well, if the man, the electrician, said it was all right, you go ahead and operate it and turn the lights on. And she testified that on Saturday of the same week, the sparks were first discovered. She had another conversation with Mr. Ackley. Mr. Ackley said, go ahead, use the lights. Just uh, turn on the sign. Eagle needs to soar. Turn the eagle back on. So Ms. Brown testified that in view of this conversation, she felt it was safe to operate the neon sign. Flash forward, it wasn't. The next day, which was a Sunday about nine o'clock, the evening show was in progress and the fire occurred. According to one of the patrons on the show of the show the evening, the fire was first seen at the top right-hand corner of the movie theater screen or the outdoor theater screen. This uh, would-be hero and also witness at trial who may have had questionable motives, I'm not sure, but he knew for whatever reason (laughs) the Browns had personal property in the apartment and the sign, and he saw the fire, he went to the apartment, he started carrying it out. I don't know how Mr. Brown felt about that, but uh, that's what it was. He testified the fire was in the tower structure above the apartment first and that he was forced to stop going in and carrying things out because the roof started falling in. So at trial, the jury awarded $4,833.29 in damages for the following items, which were classified as irreplaceable goods. Uh, two slumber spreads for $666.66, one wedding veil, shoes and point lace collar, $666.66, One key-wound heirloom watch, $666.66. Two emerald rings, $933.33. One 36-caliber Colt pistol and holster, $500. One English letterbox, $233.33. One cameo pin, $333.33. One coin collection, $666.66. And one land patent or deed that was signed by... Ulysses S. Grant, $166.66. Could I just give a hat tip to Lucifer, who clearly was doing the valuations <laughs> of these items? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, it's like, hmm, what shall we charge? Hey, Mr. Ackley and his frontier theaters. 666. <laughs> <laughs> the way that the, the verdict was described, the value of these items, as Ms. Brown described them, was the sentimental value. For example, the wedding veil, one of the emerald rings, the shoes and the point lace collar had belonged to her grandmother. The pistol had belonged to her grandfather. The watch had belonged to her great-grandmother. And the two slumber spreads were made by hand by her great-great-great-grandmothers. The coin collection and the land patent were not assigned sentimental value, even though it had the uh, signature of uh, Ulysses S. Grant and the coin collection was, you know, it had obviously some value as a collection. Those are things you could like go to an auction and say, oh, how much do we expect to get from mm-hmm. this? A little, a little 1958 Antiques Road Show, which was literally <laughs> a show on the road. So the rule here in this area, we mentioned this previously, that the law does not allow you to have an emotional attachment to personal possessions or physical property. We talked about this in the context of your pets. Um, But generally, the law does not support emotional attachment or sentimental value to your personal property. It doesn't matter how much you love your laptop computer. It's got a value or your your Honda or your Hyundai or whatever kind of objects you might have. We're not supposed to be emotionally attached to objects because the law is Buddhist. It's not Buddhist. It's nothing, it, but but there's no but there's not sentimental value for items except well there's always an exception to every rule, and this case is one of the exceptions to the rule. The court makes an exception here that allows the plaintiff to recover for the loss or destruction of items which have their 
primary value, I'm making air quotes over primary value, in sentiment. These are items which generally have no market value that would adequately compensate their owner for the loss or destruction. So they're not susceptible to supply and demand. Their value is in the sentiment and not in the marketplace. So I'm not really sure how this exception allows any part of the rule to stand <laughs> because I guess what they're saying is if it's not worth anything and it's basically of little value, then sentimental value is okay, which seems to be the opposite of the rule. And right. I, I totally have the answer since I went to all of 18 seconds of not law school. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Um if it has an actual market value, it mm -hmm. cannot have sentimental value. Oh, okay. If it has zero market value, then its only value could possibly be sentimental value. And then it's up to the fine folks who are your peers and representative of all of mankind as your peers to determine said value. Jeff, so we, we are going to make you, we're going to give you the middle name Cardozo. You're going to be Jeff Cardozo <laughs> Peitner. Huh? Don't we think so? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would also like to point out that once again, that uh, this is a tort case and therefore majorly it, like bleeding heart comparatively. Mm -hmm. What are you, some I kind know. of lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this idea with remedies you mentioned in the previous episodes we need to get back to some level right and if it's only sentimental value there's no financial theoret i mean we have to assign some sort of financial value to theoretically get me to where i was when i still had great grandma's wedding veil yeah they call that in latin they call it you know get you to the status quo ante Ante, whatever. It's basically puts you back in the position you were before the wrong was done to you. Um, and so the whole, all remedies are intended or with a guidepost that they're designed to get you to the status quo ante. Um, now, there's a lot of words, and, and actually, um, Jeff Cardozo Feitner got very close to what the court actually announces here. And I'm going to read it kind of fast. Um, but the property, so the greater values in sentiment and not in the marketplace, in those cases, the rule, the fundamental rule of damages that every wrongful injury or loss to persons or property should be adequately and reasonably compensated, that rule requires the allowance of damages in compensation for the reasonable special value of such articles to their owner, taking into consideration the feelings of the owner for such property. Now, here's the test, the math test, where the special value is greater than the market value, that becomes the only criterion for the assessment of damages. So, so Jeff was very close. So they could have a value. For example, the emerald ring, the Colt pistol probably had some market value, but the primary value was sentimental. And so what the court is saying here is you don't get a plus. So you get an either or. You can either get the market value, or if it doesn't have a market value, the market value is very low, you can get what it makes you feel like. And in this case, all this stuff made Mrs. Brown feel like $666.66 for the most part. A little side note, the coin collection land patent, there was no evidence as to their market value or their sentimental value. So that got reduced to zero. There's no evidence as to the value of the land patent and no value of the coin collection. Like that was a really interesting note. I thought like, what, what was the court looking on at, like on the record to see like for the sentimental value of other things? Like, did she have like diaries where she was like, dear diary today, I, I used my bedspread that my great, great grandmother sewed and it, it means so much to me. And thank you so much for that existing or. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, being a litigation attorney, I, f I feel this because you don't you don't really know at trial, especially when the court's going to do something wacky like this. So the issue is really an evidentiary issue that they didn't put it into evidence. Um, and so when you're when you're trying a case like this and imagine the lawyers had to decide this, we're going to we're going to argue that the sentimental value is the valuation. And for whatever reason, that testimony didn't get in get didn't get into the record and so there wasn't evidence submitted on that point um you kind of you know as a trial lawyer you got to 
sort of present two versions of value and then kind of hope that the jury picks the higher one for you. Um, and then it gets appealed and gets knocked down and it's, it's pretty tricky. So you can basically blame the trial lawyers that there was no evidence in the record as to these value. Perhaps there was objections that were sustained or whatever happened, but blame it on the trial lawyers or the trial judge. There was no evidence establishing the value. And so when they reverse a jury verdict, one of the ways they reverse it is to say there wasn't any evidence in the record to support this verdict. So there was no evidence supporting the coin collection was worth $666.66. And there was no evidence that the land patent or grant deed signed by Ulysses S. Grant was worth $166.66. So that's Brown versus Frontier Theaters. That's case number one. That's a Texas case. Case number two, we're going to go all the way over to Washington State, and we're going to go forward in time to 1979. And we're going to ignore the timing of this because the case we're actually doing in Comedy Court is a 1971 case. But who cares? So this is called Miski against Bartell Drug Company. And let me tell you, how many times has this happened to you? You take your pictures to the Target or the CVS or whatever, and they come back and there's some stuff in the pictures that you either didn't take or the pictures looked a lot better on the film when you took them. Maybe I'm dating myself. Maybe some of you folks listening to this have never seen. But what used to happen back in the day was there was you'd take a picture and it would like go on to film and then you'd have to take the film to the drugstore or something to develop the film. Kind of like the disposable cameras. You guys might get that at a party or a wedding or, oh, you know, or like the Polaroids, but those immediately produce it. Anyway, you had to do this thing. There wasn't, you know, phones. Okay. I, I saw the Robin Williams uh, movie about this. So yeah. Thinking. Yeah. If you watch old movies, they're always taking things to the, and then, you know, oops, there's a lot of opportunity for like comic mishaps. Like, why is there a picture of this on this camera? Or, oh my God, there's granddad in the background of the photo. So they had all these family movie films. Like a, like a home video system that were sh- shot and developed on film. And my grandfather used to have one of these home movie cameras and they, you know, would, would show the home movies and you'd put them on reels and stuff. And so they had already developed in this movie film and they decided to take it to the drugstore to have the film spliced onto larger reels. And being the uh, 1970s editors that they were, they decided like, oh, we're going to put them in this order. And unfortunately, the film was lost. So the question here is about a jury verdict of $7,500 against the retailer and the film processor. The retailer's processing agent was GAF Labs. So what happened is the the plaintiffs, the Miski family, had taken movie films of all their family activities. They had wedding film. They had their honeymoon. They had vacations in Mexico and Hawaii, Christmas gatherings, birthdays, little league games, family pets, building their home, and irreplaceable film of members of their family, such as the husband's brother who had deceased. So they had 32 50 foot reels of this developed film that they wanted spliced together onto four reels so they could watch it kind of like a a home movie that's like edited. That's basically the precursor to TikTok. And so Ms. Miski went into the um, camera department. Um, She'd been a customer there for at least 10 years and she was sure that they could do a good job. So they put them in an order that they want them to be spliced and marked. They were in four separate paper bags, which were in turn placed in one large bag and delivered to the manager. The paper bags may have been a mistake. Okay. I'm just going to say that. that may not have been good planning. So the plaintiff wife explained what they wanted and the manner they were to be assembled and based on the bags. And the manager put a film processing packet on the bag. This is something that routinely happened in the 70s. You'd go to the photomat or the whatever, and they would put it in a little bag and send it out. And there was a little receipt. And the receipt said, quote, we assume no responsibility beyond retail cost of film unless otherwise agreed in writing. So there you go, Kristen. There's your contract. Right. Okay. We're not going to talk about the contract at all. Not the conscientious, conscientious ability. No, we're not going to talk about the unconscionable contract at all. Just to mention, it's there. It's part of the case. We're not talking about it. If you're curious, go read it. Uh, That's 92 Washington 2nd, 40, uh, 1979, Miski versus Bartell Drug Company. For those of you attorneys that were... Right. (laughs) 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 That's not happening. Uh, Okay. So she told the manager, don't lose them. These are my life. So Bartell sent the film package to the defendant Gaff Corporation, and the film was at the Gaff Lab at the end of one day and gone the next morning. And yes, the janitor also got sued. 
So there's some mystery about what happened to these four paper bags that got left overnight in a lab. The janitor got blamed, but the court just says, as courts do, plaintiff's film went from Bartell drug to Gaff's lab and to the garbage dumpster, to a truck, to a barge, to an upsound landfill where it may yet repose. More like gone away film. (laughs) Did did you say upsound landfill? Upsound landfill. That is the worst parody of Uptown Funk I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, it was a gaff. <laughs> I also propose that GAF stands for guilty as F. I was waiting for somebody else. I mean, I see. I tried. Uh, I put yeah. Jeff in the podcast in the uh, thing because Jeff knows I don't like to cuss. That's right. Sorry, I got distracted by the upsound, the fact that this is taking place near the Puget Sound in Washington State. And so uh-huh. where in Washington is this? Yeah, it's the yeah, is there an upsound landfill? Yeah. I mean, kind of, you know, you just send it north and away. If not to Canada, then close. So the defendants argued that the plaintiffs were only entitled to damages for the cost of replacing the film because, well, first of all, the receipt said that we assume no responsibility beyond retail cost of film, unless otherwise agreed in writing. And they pointed to the old rule, which is that you can't compensate people for sentimental value. Well, the Washington State Supreme Court, those snowflake liberals from the Pacific Northwest, (laughs) rejected the argument that the plaintiffs were only entitled to damages for the cost of replacing the film because blank film is not what they lost. You see, judges can always find a way around whatever rule it is, rule the way they want to rule. That's the standard for message of damages in relation to personal property. And they lay out a three-part test. Those of you who are avid listeners to comedy court you're going to want to listen to the three-part test these are in the alternative so if the personal property personal property as opposed to real estate personal property which is destroyed as a market value then the damages of the market value if it has no market value but it can be replaced or reproduced then the measure is the cost of replacement or reproduction if the property has no market value and can't be replaced or reproduced then the value to the owner is the proper measure of damages and where the personal item has no market value or is irreplaceable, its value may include some kind of an objective element, the value of the owner. However, a quote, sentimental or fanciful value is not compensable, which means you can't get emotional distress for injury to a family pet. So they're applying the 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 cost the value to the owner but it can't be a sentimental value well i don't the, understand that differentiation the it's court, trying yeah. To use, yeah well Sorry. the court does what the court does when the court doesn't know what a word means because if they're saying it, it can be your personal subjective impression of what it's worth but you can't be sentimental about it all right sure. you can't be sentimental and they go to webster's the legally binding Webster's Third New International Dictionary, published in 1963, which refers to sentimentals being governed by feelings, sen- sensibility, or emotional idealism, or indulging in feeling to an unwarranted extent, or being affectedly or mawkishly emotional. So the exclusion contemplated by the statement that sentimental value is not to be compensated, but and here's a false analogy here for you analogy fans, then no one would recover for the wrongful death of a spouse or child. So they're interpreting sentimental value, not in the way that we would typically think of sentiment, but as like, oh, you are being too sentimental. You're being too emotional about it. Yeah. They're like, it's like a reasonable swooner standard, basically. (laughs) 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 The reasonable swooner standard is exactly right. Well, there's this little false analogy because while pets might be personal property, a spouse or child is not. That is a human life. And it's well established you can get emotional distress damages for loss of a human life. So the court is playing pretty fast and loose here. And this is just flat out, I will call it, the Washington Supreme Court wrong in comparing the loss of personal property to the wrongful death of a spouse or child. They're completely different torts, right? You don't get emotional about the loss of your Hyundai you can get emotional about the loss of your spouse or child. If I get emotional about the loss of my Hyundai that happened at the same time as the loss of my spouse or child, is that okay? 
Uh, I don't think that would swing with the jury. <laughs> so well. I mean, legally, you you would if you had a good lawyer, your lawyer would tell you, don't talk about how you felt about your Hyundai. Would it matter if maybe it was a 68 Camaro RS instead? I'm well, sure we can pull some heartstrings in the right parts of America. We just got to move. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think then you'd be in you'd be in category three. Um, I mean, it has a market value. Could be replaced. But, you know, oh, are we maybe we're looking up at Brown versus Frontier Theaters where the sentimental value exceeds the market value. Maybe something special happened in that Camaro. Um, the child was conceived. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> what? No comment. So, yeah. So the, then the final footnote here. Let me go back. The whole, uh, you know, conceiving a child in a car just just kind of. I apologize. Uh, no, it was just a very on the nose um luckily nobody in my family listened to this podcast so the trial court correctly allowed recovery for the actual or intrinsic value to plaintiffs of this lost film or lost developed home movies but denied recovery for any unusual sentimental value of the film to the plaintiffs or a fanciful price which plaintiffs, for their own special reasons, might place thereon. All right, so you're allowed to have actual or intrinsic value, but it can't be fanciful. The reasonable swooner test, <laughs> as, a, as well put. We think these pictures of your dead brother are worth this much. <laughs> yeah. Can't be worth as much as you are saying they're worth. Right. So $7,500 for home movies of your dead brother, fine. 10,060 feet of film. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a, I mean, that's a lot of time invested. It is. You're right. It's not just undeveloped film still in a case never, never used. I mean, just consider the labor involved in creating the film and then taking it somewhere to get it developed and then actually put on a reel of in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At the bare minimum, it's not just a $4.99 roll of film. Or even a a five dollar roll of eight millimeter film, right? Save yeah. this for a comedy court, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I personally would have been arguing for for the replacement value because they had some trips in there, a wedding, a honeymoon, pads, <laughs> yes. little league games, Christmas gathering, birthdays, maybe a time machine. That's what I would have gone for replacement value. Yeah, I don't want the film. I don't want the film back. I want the opportunity to recreate everything that I say was in that film. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I'm going for. Which takes us to the comedy court case. Comedy court. Comedy court. Da -da 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 -da. Comedy court. Okay. So the case is Carpal versus Saget Studios, Inc. This is a case out of... Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, in 1971, this is a case out of the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. There's a little bit of civil procedure, a little flourish of civil procedure we're going to get to for you civil procedure nerds who yeah. listen to this show exclusively for the civil procedure flourishes. I don't do civil procedure, but when we do, we do it. This is a case that's in federal court involving a wedding photographer. The plaintiffs sued the defendant and Kristen's going to love this for breach of contract because <laughs> the photographer failed to deliver the black and white photos. The bride and the groom had paid $110 to have black and white photos. The plaintiffs contended that their damages for failing to deliver the hundred, the $110 black and white photos was the cost to restage the wedding and photograph it, the loss of sentimental value by the photographer's failure to perform at the type of the actual wedding, the emotional distress caused by the defendant's failure to perform the black and white photography at the wedding, and punitive damages. Now, for the civil procedure reason I'll get into in a moment, the defendant tried to get the case thrown out, saying that the damages would not exceed $10,000. Here's um, a little additional fact that's dropped in a footnote. Apparently, the court asked the plaintiffs to write a letter stating how much it would cost them to restage the wedding. Based on the original cost, the amount they calculated was $3,244 plus cleaning costs of $480. 
which even considering the cost of inflation was less than $10,000. The plaintiffs also sat for depositions and they admitted that they had 10 color photographs of the wedding. Now, all this is in a footnote in the court opinion, by the way, which is bizarre because I think these are pretty important facts, but they got 10 color photographs of the wedding that were taken during the actual service and which were given to them for free by the defendant because the black and white pictures hadn't turned out. In addition, the defendant took black and white portraits without charge at a later posing. Now, those are the facts of the case, is whether or not the damages are $10,000 because the contract had been breached. All right. For those of you who have just been waiting for bated breath with the, um, for the civil procedure piece of this. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, I know. Kristen loves a civil procedure. So I've mentioned this. If you listen to the show regularly, you know I mention this all the time. There are two sets of court systems in the United States because we have this thing called federalism, meaning there is a United States government and there are state governments in every state. The state courts handle some types of cases. The federal courts handle other types of cases. In general, the federal courts handle cases arising under federal law. Copyright law is federal law. Patent law, federal law. Um, ERISA, which involves employee benefits, federal law. Courts generally are state law. Okay, so you don't go to federal court over a tort. Unless... There's a, a provision called diversity jurisdiction, which means people from diverse to different states or countries. So if you're from Pennsylvania and someone else is from New York, the framers of the Constitution believe that wasn't fair to get hometowned. So they came with this idea of diversity jurisdiction where you can file in federal court. There are two requirements. You have to be citizens of different states. And the amount in controversy has to be over a certain amount. Today, it's $75,000. At the time of the Constitution, I, I don't remember. I'm not Kevin McCarthy. I don't read the Constitution regularly. But it was a much smaller amount. At the time of this case, it was $10,000. So the reason that the damages amount matters is because it affects which court you're in, whether you're in the federal court or you get kicked down to the state courts. All right. Which are a bunch of country bumpkins, you know, mm -hmm. talk about getting hometowned. You get, mm -hmm. you get seriously hometowned in, in, in state courts. The idea with federal courts is they're, you know, they're, they are, as we all know, uh, uh, our current president, Joseph Robinette Biden has proposed and confirmed a hundred federal court judges. So they're nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate. The idea being that they're not going to be so much hometowners. Um, and so they're a little bit, a little bit less uh, invested in, they're not elected, they sit, they sit for life. And so the idea being that, um, I guess it's a little bit more fair under these facts, folks, I hope you're paying attention. $110 contract for black and white photos, color photos were delivered. The cost of restaging the wedding was $3,244 plus cleaning costs of $480. So whether or not they stay in federal court depends on whether they can get sentimental value. They're getting replacement value. The cost of redoing their wedding, sentimental value and emotional distress by the loss of these black and white wedding photos. So when we come back, we're going to have our fine, fine comedy council argue comedy court in the case of Carpel versus Saget Studios. We'll be right back. We're back for comedy court. We have on behalf of the appellants, Saget Studios. Kristen Drenning. And on behalf of the successful plaintiffs, uh, we have the Carpels, represented by Curtis Rutherford. Thank you. As the appellant, Saget Studios, you may argue first. Um, I think it's really important to note that this is not a case in which the items that are under contention are in any way not fungible. They are a contracted for good, a set of photos the price of which was $110. So there's doesn't fall within the rubric that we've already established by 
the earlier case uh, that it has no market value. It can only be sentimentally valued. It has a very real market value. And also, secondly, if we're going to go to a different theory of damages and we're going to say replacement damages, even those wouldn't be nearly as much as the amount that would have to be in controversy here for there to even be jurisdiction for this case to be heard. So I think what's really happening here is that they were trying to make up as a stopgap all these very imagined, very, very hyper-sentimental, swoony kind of damages, which might I add, we're already offset by the fact that the photographer already tried to restage these photos for them and provided that service uh, for free. So, I mean, how much psychic harm could there be left? Council, I have a question. I, I have a question for you, Council. Mm -hmm. Why is Saget Studios uh, so itching to get into Pennsylvania state court instead of being in our fine, fine federal court system? Well, I think probably because of the uh, traditional respect under uh, Pennsylvania state law for the contracts restatement, uh, which just tells us that there is no such thing as recovery for uh, sentimental value in lost property, right, in contract case. Seem very just like I'm, I'd say, you know, you know, sort of emotionally attached to the Pennsylvania state courts. Don't you agree? I would say so. I mean, Saget is a beloved hometown hero of uh, a, a well-known and loved photographer of, of many an occasion throughout the Pennsylvania area into Amish country, like near the Hershey's factory, uh, up near the Liberty Bell, you name it. They've been photographing there. Mm -hmm. uh, would you like to reserve the balance of your time for rebuttal? I would absolutely like to. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. The, uh, the rostrum is yours. Uh, counselor, we we just want a fair hearing. We don't want to go to Saget County, USA, and have to have our hearing there. We want to be heard in federal court, okay? Because the fact is, these photographs were destroyed. Maybe they never existed, in which case we're going to say they were pre-destroyed, which in a way is even worse. We could have had the black and white photographs, but then they were plucked from us from the future and destroyed. Now, of course, these photographs that it's has no market value, right? It, it, they can't be replaced, really. Like, we're making up, oh, what if we restage the wedding? Do you expect, do you expect a couple to have all of the same feelings in the second kiss of the bride that they would at the first? No, there's something intangible, something in that first you are now man and wife that is not going to happen when you say, oh, by the way, you're still man and wife. Make sure you kiss. It's not going to be the same that can't be replaced counselor, counselor i have a question the from the i have a question from the bench have you considered yeah, yeah. applying the the sinatra rule to this scenario the sinatra rule being that um love's more comfortable the second time around have you considered that that perhaps the second wedding might be in fact better for the um the bridegroom and the bride um and they as they celebrate their nuptials fully a second time on the dime of saget studios well, I would contend that Sinatra himself did not follow that rule based on what I'm guessing were multiple separate marriages. Um, I'd also, can I interject again? I, is it time for my rebuttal? I'm ready. Uh, I'm does, the, the second, does the second, uh, uh, does the counselor uh, on behalf of the uh, res uh, respondents? Um, I'll just add the uh, last thing. We can't just, you know, restage this. That's not going to do it. This is pure emotional distress and harm that's the only value here and these people oh if you had seen this wedding it uh, absolutely we just need to pay the emotional value of these i mean i mean i i mean pictures. i kind of can I, i'm looking at these 10 color photographs of the actual wedding itself so i feel like i wait the like color photograph there. i'm sorry yeah. i'm sorry this is 1971 <gasps> the, the dresses the colors horrendous you want them to look at mustard yellows and lime greens the rest of their life no lot a black and white photo captured in a classy, timeless way what this wedding was. The color you know, I'm not an expert in technology, counsel, you know, and 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 I don't want to reveal any biases, count, um, but you know, can't you just uh, do do a thing where you just take the color out? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Just just, just 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 take a, you know, take the black and white photos, and then you and then you do like a like a different kind of 
like a different kind of a thing in a, you know, a light or something or something like that, where, you know, it's a, was a color photo, but voila, it's black and white now. And isn't that you just can? the same? The contrast is wildly different in that case. There is a reason that black and white films, even when shot now are shot on a different style of film. They're shot on black and white film because that has a higher contrast. It absorbs it differently. And I can see that, uh, uh, Kristen rebuttal. is <laughs> chomping at the bit, so I will allow a rebuttal. Allow. All right, uh, counsel, you you can reserve the balance of your time for a counter rebuttal, a rebuttal to the rebuttal. Okay, I would like to talk about whether or not we really think that the that uh, poor Saget, the Saget Studios was even in breach of this particular contract because they did go to the wedding and attempt to take those photos. It wasn't like they didn't show up and didn't do it. The photos did not come out, which is an ordinary hazard in, in any field of photography at any moment. And just because it happened to be a wedding doesn't mean that all of a sudden, like something that is very much so within the scope of typical photography is all of a sudden now like some like horrible psychic harm or wrong. You know what I mean? They tried, they tried in good faith to actually provide those photos. It's not my fault that, or their fault that they just, for whatever reason, didn't develop properly that's well 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 sorry. Ms. contract sorry. damages i'm just gonna i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna just come at you from the bench right here mm. I, i've got the contract in front of me miss contract and i don't see a limitation on consequential damages and i don't see the performance being attendance at the wedding i see delivery of black and white photographs being the performance contracted for how say ye in response to this contract argument that you've never seen nor been submitted? act of god act mm. of god they did not develop because of act of God. That's what I've well, got. Well, in the seventies, it was much. More I'm important. sorry. <laughs> in the dark room, is God developing the pictures? Is, is God yep. exposing? <laughs> My clients, the Carpels, paid for a wedding photographer, not a wedding attempter. Not somebody <laughs> attempting to take photos. <laughs> the photos. And sure, they got some color ones, but from different angles, different things. No. It's not the same. If you look at other cases that we've been discussing, there's been a certain amount of either like negligence involved or on it or actual malfeasance in the non-performance or the destruction of property, right? Like there's been somebody being like, oh, go ahead, flip on the lights. This is fine, even though it's very clearly not fine, right? That's a whole different standard, right? This is like very clearly a fungible thing. And also the value of the performance was only $110 no matter what. So if we're going to say that we can't say that like we have a wedding attempter, then we also can't say that like the item that they were contracting for isn't the actual price though, like of the damage, right? Counter rebuttal to the rebuttal. Yep. You'll get the last, you'll get the last word, Mr. Rutherford. Look, the Carpels, they had one chance. They're probably gonna divorce now. They got this wedding. <laughs> sure, $110 is what? was uh paid for for the photographer for at that moment but now that the moment is gone what would they pay for a photographer to travel back in time and take photos of their wedding i would say eleven twelve thousand dollars <laughs> easy if not less than ten thousand dollars and three cents that would it would be absolutely more than that because the price has gone up now that the wedding has gone the matter was will stand submitted. Um, I will recess to my chambers and announce my decision from the bench in two seconds. Comedy court. Dun, 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 dun. Comedy court. What Rolling a bunch of jokers. Torts. Contracts on tort. Um, and I'm back. Well, I've considered the arguments of learned counsel, having reviewed the photos in detail that were submitted, as well as the um, written statements about the emotionality of the experience. Um, I'm going to actually do something that us judges like to do, which is called splitting the baby. Now, I will share with you, those of you that are actually listening to this podcast to learn, the ruling in the real case was that the sentimental value was not compensable. The It was a sale of goods, so incidental and consequential damages were allowed, but there was no damages for mental suffering for the loss of property in a contract action. Goods? Right. Goods being the photographs. I understand, but that is a service involved. 
True. True. That, that Mr. Judge person can just go right to heck. Yeah, I, that's right. They also cite the restatement of contracts, section 342, which says that punitive damages are not available in breach of contract. So there wasn't a market, although there wasn't a market or a replacement value for the photographs, the only arguable cost-related measure of damages was the cost of restaging the weddings and retaking the photographs. And since the plaintiff had admitted that it cost less than $10,000 to restage the entire wedding, that was below the amount in controversy. So the case was dismissed from federal court. The plaintiffs need to go refile in um, Saget County, Pennsylvania, and uh, good luck to them there. However, since this is comedy court, we're going to take a different way. We're going to go a different way. We're going to go wacky. We're going to go crazy. We're going to go wacky. I object. Yeah. And, and so as the comedy court judge, what I'm going to rule is that what I'd like you to do is restage the wedding right here in my courtroom because I'm a federal <laughs> judicial officer. And I think that the, the couple, they're, they're a right good looking couple. And I would be honored to be part of the picture. And I would like you to take... Saget Suze, I'd like you to take some color photos and some black and white photos and maybe some boudoir photos for the old Mrs. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Comedy Judge because, you know, we got to spice it up. We've been married for a long time and maybe you shoot our wedding too. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be the ruling of the court. Case dismissed. The judge wins. I object. <laughs> object and reserve I think for everybody a objects to that idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> boudoir photos of Mr. Judge? No, that seems, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so as a palate cleanser, I'm just going to let you guys know that my, uh, my sister, true story actually did have the video of her wedding get lost. And so I, uh, I'm going to have her send me over a voice note, which we'll include here about her experience of actually having your wedding photos be destroyed and the process of getting back and the advice I gave her and why she did or did not follow it. Cause when your family member is a lawyer you get free advice. That's how it works. Don't know whether it's good or not. But um, since we're here now, um, any advice for our listeners about um, getting married? Any advice as to people who um, about drive-in movie theaters or uh, advice on which state to live in in order to maximize sentimental value? Please weigh in. Yeah. Let, let, let me let me let me speak to the masses regarding relationships in general and getting married specifically if you're young enough to con- consider your parents opinion about your other don't chase your heart and what you want don't let your parent guide your relationship choices love is love don't get married it's also an option <laughs> <laughs> I am literally planning a wedding as we speak. That was what I spent Ooh, last night doing. Do get married. Uh, yep. Uh, but as far as like wedding photographs and all of that video, it's uh, whatever. My feeling is whatever happens, happens. And there's a lot of weddings where they say, everybody put your phone away. Don't take any photos. I want everybody taking photos. I want to see that hat. You know what? We've got a photographer. She's amazing. But just in case she explodes at the wedding or shortly thereafter, I want photos to exist of other things, but also a video. We had the option of like, do we want a video of the wedding? And my thought was like, when am I going to sit down and watch this video? Unless I become like a drunk detective whose wife has died. And I just every night I rewatch the wedding video. Like I can't think of a a situation where I'd want to rewatch See, I think to protect yourself from that eventuality, you can't have a video because if you exactly. do have a video, it kind of forces your hand. Right, right. Fate's mm-hmm. involved, and then next thing you know, you're whoever. The guy is cast. Yeah. Exactly. As soon as there's a video of "I'll love you forever" running along the beach, uh-huh, that's the right. video that you watch as you're getting drunk yes. in a trailer on Sunset Cliffs with Christmas lights, and then just rolling oh, yeah. a revolver. I was just gonna say at my wedding, um, I told the photographer I didn't want to do any of the silly like pictures of like the brides and bridesmaids like jumping up and down in the air like in unison and they wouldn't listen. So I left and the rest of them all spent an hour jumping up in the air in unison. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my advice is that you really need to make a decision. You need to go one way or the other. Either you ask your cousin to shoot the wedding video for free 
because you wanted to give them a job and seem like a good idea and it and you know you don't want to you you know on a tight budget or you have a hosted bar what you don't do is both <laughs> you don't ask your cousin to shoot the wedding video and have a hosted bar that is a bad idea it's weird never, it almost sounds like this comes from an experience <laughs> i haven't i haven't watched the wedding video i don't intend to watch the wedding video I just know that after we left, shit got weird. And oh my God, I, I would be watching. I, I don't know. It was an epic night in Pasadena, is all I know. <laughs> Still to this day, my cousins won't. My cousins won't tell me what exactly happened, but apparently, I mean, and the other thing too is it was a morning wedding, so the open bar lasted until four o'clock. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, people were lit up and no place to go. And if you've oh been in Pasadena, God. lit up and no place to go. I mean, there's the uh, app. There wasn't even an Apple store at that time. I um, think uh, also uh, we have learned if your landlord says it's fine, it's not fine. It's not we fine. see sparks no, not fine. coming out of an electrical wire. If you have an electrical wire from which you can see sparks, you have a problem. And if the sparks continue, trust your gut. You're right, <laughs> ma'am. You know what you're saying. Keep that keep that sign off. We don't need the eagle sign turned on. Exactly. Also, in terms of sentimentality, I would just recommend living in Texas because there'll be somebody in the audience who just happens to know that your stuff is valuable and will just selflessly run in to like go get it out of the fire. That's a yeah. very Texas thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I feel like point. there's a Ulysses S. Grant signed land deed. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> <And> rescue it. <laughs> so I want to know how this this bystanding hero knew right yeah, i got some questions about that too that yeah strikes me you as know, like he may have been in the apartment sometimes <laughs> the most important things are left unsaid which is why we usually do improv at this point in the episode but we have a hard out here and we spent a lot of time having fun and started late because i was not having fun doing other things besides podcasting because i have to have a job and um so that was that's the reason why we are not going to do a three-act or four-act or seven-act improv drama this week. You got it woven in to the episode throughout. So we're oh. going to do what we always do at the end. Yes, Curtis. I have what one last realization. So, yes. it, okay. So if we're going with, you either get the market value or the sentimental value, whichever one's more, put your sentimental value into your cheapest items. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Don't waste a lot of sentimental value price yeah. items because you're getting market value for that. Don't That's worry about right. that. But the cheaper the item, pour your sentiment into uh -huh. diary about it. Take pictures. Yes. With you. There should be pictures of you on Instagram with you holding the worst piece of jewelry yes. that you have. Yeah. Most meaningful yeah. mug ever. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the most important object I own. Exactly. And also my computer, my podcasting studio is $8 billion. That's right. We've got it here recorded. It's also like, if you know you're about to do something that's like associated with sentimentality, like, oh, get married. That's the time to really pour your heart into it. Right. Because you know, you're, you're in for a money. If, you, mm -hmm. if anything goes wrong. Mm -hmm. payday. Yep. And read that contract in your consequential damages limitation in your wedding photographer okay. contract, by the way. Oh, yeah. Or don't, because wait, because the fact oh, yeah, that if it's she didn't read the receipt, it was like, well, you didn't read the receipt. You didn't, you read didn't the receipt. talk about this, so it didn't have anything to do with it. That's right. I did give that a little bit of short shrift. The The contract was unconscionable in the case of... Miski. Um, <clears throat> Miski against Bartel Drug. It said, we assume no responsibility, but it was rejected because she didn't read it. And she told them, these videos are my life. These films. Are this my is life. why when I walk into a dry cleaners, I put on a blindfold. <laughs> so I'm not seeing any sort of that language. And if they lose a shirt, it's on them, not me. Despite also, when you hike near the golf course in Griffith Park, <laughs> blindfold didn't see the sign. And you're also but, but you also have to, to make that. these like grand proclamations. This yes. walk is my life. Yes. <laughs> yes. This shirt and pant set is my life. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and steal a phrase. I am a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. <laughs> Kristen is a lawyer. She's not your lawyer. Probably. I am not a lawyer, but I am your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, all. All, yeah, all creations are liars. There you go. 
Yeah, that's your Venn diagram right there. Well, folks, that's our show. We'll do a little shameless self-promotion and say goodbye. Um, why don't we start with, uh, well, why don't we start with Jeff? Jeff, what would you like to shamelessly promote? Look, man, if you're listening to this and you like how it sounds and you want to make your own podcast, why don't you hit me up at fightpro.com, F-Y-T-E-P-R-O.com. And if you don't like how it sounds, that's my fault, not Jeff's fault. <laughs> yes. So hit him up anyway. But if you're still listening, you probably do like how it sounds. So yeah, by all means, hit him up. And as someone who's heard the un-Jeffed version and the Jeffed version, I can tell you what a difference the Jeff makes. True, true. Choosing um, mom to choose Jeff. <laughs> exactly. All right, Kristen, some shameless self-promotion. If you're in the Austin area or Austin curious, you can check out my Instagram, which is brand new, eight posts deep and lighting up the internet, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-R-E-N-N-I-N-G uh, at the Instagram. Otherwise, I have some storytelling stuff up on the internet, which is totally worth listening to. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. Curtis. I am on most things as actually Curtis. You can probably find me there. You can find my website at curtisrutherford.com, R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. Um, come on out to my wedding if you want to drop something by. And uh, I might be doing shows at UCB, but who knows? It's always confusing and you'll have to check. I don't know. I don't even think I put it up on my website. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And the UCB teams are currently ghost, but we'll see question mark and Megaplex, the improvised movie. Awesome. Well, you can find me on the internet and socials at comedy lawyer. When, if ever I post and on Twitter, you know, usually complaining about one thing or another at max headroom ESQ. That's where you can find me. And we're on YouTube as well. YouTube slash comedy lawyer. These are not videos though. They're like, they're like little, they're videos you can listen to. They don't see. But maybe we'll do videos someday. That's me. That's our show. Thanks a lot, everybody. Say bye. Bye. bye.